Welcome everyone to the next Your Amigos podcast. We're glad to be joined by Dina Battle from Casey Cure. And I believe this might be her third visit to the Your Amigos podcast, which might be a record. Um, Dina, welcome. If you could introduce yourself briefly and then maybe introduce sort of the background. We're going to talk about sort of social media and interaction with patients and how they get information. But after you introduce yourself, give us a little background to set the stage. Sure. Well, thanks for having me back again. Um, I'm Dina Battle, president and co-founder of Casey Cure. We are a patient advocacy organization, and we're very focused on patient outreach. And I'm excited today to talk a little bit about misinformation in social media. This is really a growing problem as we see more and more patients joining health communities um, these are great opportunities for patients to get access to information and connect with other patients. But, you know, there are a few downsides. I think this past year we've talked a lot about that um, and how misinformation sometimes spreads. And so today I'm going to talk about some of the things that we see in communities and maybe how we can work together to combat those things. So, Dina, where do most patients get information from? Do you know that the they get a diagnosis, they have, you know, X, Y, or Z cancer, obviously kidney cancer in this case. Are there data to say where most people go? Are most people going to the internet as their first source or no? So most people are going to the internet. Um, you know, and that's something that's really been an explosive change over the past, past 30 years. You know, in the early 90s and 2000s, you see the internet take off. Um, today, 90% of cancer patients are using the internet to get information. Um, but I think, it's become so overwhelming. You know, when you say the internet, uh, if you do just a simple Google search for kidney cancer, you get 160 million results. I think most of them are Brian's publications. <laughs> <laughs> um, so the idea of trying to decipher that is, you know, to, to sort through all that is really tough. Um, and I think that is why we're seeing more patients turn to to social media and health communities. Um, an, an estimated 90 million Americans have participated in some type of health community. And we certainly see a lot of, a lot of so growth it, in communities. Explain what that, that health community, explain what that term means. Yeah. So if we think about social media, the general definition, it's just um, any platform that brings people together in a shared experience. But we can see communities... Primarily, the, the largest number of groups are on Facebook. Um, that's really the dominating platform. But it also, we also see it on Twitter. We see patients sharing information. And then there are also health-related platforms like Smart Patients or Insight. Health Unlocked is, um, I think, more common in Britain. Um, so you can see these different type of health communities across multiple platforms. So, Dina, what's the, what's the biggest area of misinformation and where is that coming from? So there's a couple of different things. One thing I like to talk about when we talk about misinformation is there is a difference between misinformation and disinformation. So misinformation is um, information that's wrong, but that's shared without an intent to harm people. Again, like Did Brian's publication. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you, Tom. Disinformation is false information that's shared with an intent to harm. I think most of us, when we think about fake news, fake information being shared, we kind of 
gravitate towards this idea of disinformation mm-hmm. and, you know, predatory sellers, conspiracy scams going after cancer patients. We definitely see those things in social communities. Um, but they're actually that type of external factor that we see is a little bit easier to control for. And there's a couple reasons. One is that patients are, they're going to crowdsource that out. If someone comes in and says that they have a cure for cancer that involves a money back guarantee, most people (laughs) are skeptical of that. Um, the, The minute those type of things are shared, uh, they're reported to moderators and because it's usually a link from an external site, it's just kicked out. Um, so these, these health community sites are moderated. They're, I don't want to say censored, but they're, they're um, looked after in some way so that if these links come across, somebody can report it and that, that is blocked or whatever. Is that correct? That is correct. That is yeah. correct. Um, the, the best groups, the largest, most active groups are, it is peer moderated. So it's other patients and caregivers um, interestingly enough, there's research behind this, but if you bring doctors and healthcare professionals into these communities, they, they flounder. Um, well, why is that? <laughs> uh, patients are less forthcoming. Um, they're nervous oh, about sharing information. They're worried about getting something wrong. Uh, they actually, there's a, there was a study in the UK looking at Parkinson's patients, and not only did the patients stop participating, they complained about even having to share information. They felt like they were, um, like they had to do something versus, you know, seeking a, a pure experience and exchange of information. So the, the most successful groups are peer moderated by other patients and caregivers, and they don't have um, heavy moderation. How did you join one of these groups? So. It, that's a great question, Tom. When my when my late husband was diagnosed, um, and that was in two thousand nine, this was this really was a life changing experience. Was when we connected with uh, with the health community. But back then, it was still a listserv, a good old fashioned email yeah. listserv, and that. You know, we found out. I love to tell this story because through that listserv, we found out about the MDX 1106 trial, which was the phase one trial for Opdivo. And Chris ended up being the 15th patient to enroll in that trial. It was a remarkable opportunity. We never would have learned about it without that patient community. So most, do you think most people find their way, most patients find their way to these communities? They start on the internet, they might do Google search, but do most of them land ultimately in these communities sooner or later? Yeah, I really think they do. The, the growth has been so explosive over the past 10 years. Um, f- Facebook is really the largest source of growth. Mm-hmm. And I, I think it's become sort of a normal thing to to sort of seek out other people with a similar experience. You do a search. I think there's 27 or 28 distinct groups for kidney cancer on Facebook. Wow. Um, And then you also see smaller groups. Like we run groups for rare subtypes. We have a papillary group, a chromophobe group, translocation, unclassified. So you, you see those type of groups as well. And, What's the potential, I guess, the crux of the question is for misinformation on these sites, right? If, there's, if they're peer moderated, mm-hmm. I mean, does, does this come up where somebody says something and somebody else says, no, that's not true? And, and then there's sort of ambiguity or how does that work? 
you know, there's not a lot of there's not a lot of fighting going on. There is disagreement that occurs, but because everybody's coming from the same level of vulnerability, it's remarkably um, calm and respectful, the shared information. You definitely see um, wrong information, but if someone's coming in and they're asking a crowd, we're going to assume that the crowd is large enough. You know, you've got anywhere from a hundred to thousands of people coming in. For the most part, if someone, if someone were to ask a question, say, I'm just starting out, newly diagnosed, we're trying to decide which therapy, you know, maybe they're thinking about Ipinevo versus Pembroaxi. They might be just asking, what therapy did you start with? And for the most part, you're going to see the, a trend among those answers towards the top prescribed therapies. Of course, you might see an outlier. Um, someone who was diagnosed 10 years ago might have started on something different. Um, and you, you could see one or two people who would say, you know, I'm treating my cancer with marijuana or something. But because it's so limited, people are going to gravitate towards I see. What, what is the predominant answer. Um, but there are some internal biases that are really hard for, for patients to see. And this is something that we've done extensive research on. This is something Casey here is very committed to. Um, the first thing we see is, is sample bias. Um, we started to notice this early on. Um, we did, our survey research showed that we were heavily weighted with patients who have metastatic disease. Um, and the result in a large community was there was the impression that recurrence rates were much higher than they actually oh, are. Right. And this was a big problem for patients with localized disease. Right. And, you know, that it, that causes higher anxiety rates for patients, uh, but it also makes them more likely to demand increased scans and invasive tests. And the other thing that's really important to know here is when patients lose trust in the medical establishment, it makes them much more prone to conspiracy ideation and these predatory scams if they think their doctors are lying to them. So that's an example of statistical bias. Um, what We've done a number of things to try and address this. Uh, the most important thing we did was you can use scaling, which is creating a smaller group to balance out your bias. So we created a group just for patients with localized disease. I see. It's our fastest growing group. Uh, we have 1,500 members. We average 20 new members per week. And so what, um, from a doc perspective, if you're giving you know, providers out there advice about what they need to know, how to maybe interact with these communities, do they ever bring you know, providers in to, to to give expertise or to talk about trials or whatever, whatever the topic may be. What, what's the interaction? Because this seems very sort of separate from the delivery of, of drugs. Yeah, I mean, it is separate. Like I said, we, we do, we want this to be a safe place for patients. But we, we also, we do bring in doctors in the sense that when we identify myths or, you know, we want to provide better information, we do, you know, we, we share your podcasts every time. Um, something new comes up. Um, we've done a number of things with Euro today, or we'll create new materials to sort of address these type of statistical biases. And obviously we're working with our medical advisory board to, to create those materials and making sure that everything is evidence-based. So I think there is, you know, it's not a direct interaction in the sense that we're bringing a doctor in 
to talk to mm-hmm. patients. Um, but we are involving medical providers to to provide better information and certainly to correct misinformation. Dean, a question from me. Cannabis. So every third patient yeah. comes in and says, why haven't you given me cannabis yet? Isn't it going to cure cancer? <laughs> um, yeah. This is uh, it's something that I find sort of extraordinary because it's it's always the, not always the same but in you know it's it, it it's it's got a momentum of its own how does a story like that gain such prominence i'm not suggesting it does or doesn't cure cancer i'm just saying that it's it's you know it's always cannabis it's never paracetamol or whatever it, it, what what why is what, what what's the how has that become so powerful you know, this is a great example of another bias that we see called social enforcement. And that's when weak information or false information is repeated so many times over and over and over again that everybody sort of accepts it as fact. And this idea that cannabis or marijuana cures cancer or helps cancer patients is so pervasive. It's not just in communities. Think about it. We see it in in movies constantly. It's reinforced by the media over and over again. Um, You know, you see a movie and a character has cancer. The first thing they do is start smoking marijuana. It was fascinating (laughs) to me. we definitely see it. Actually, we did a sur- our, our two surveys ago. We had over 1,100 patients participate. We asked them whether they were um, using alternative treatments in addition to treatment. Um, 40% of patients reported using some type of cannabinoid at some point. It, this it's really a pervasive myth and it's just something that, like I said, it's this social reinforcement that occurs over and over and over again. So do you have a, have a related question? So a thousand times, you know, I've had a thousand encounters like this where we're sort of finishing the encounter and the patient says, Hey doc, have you heard about fill in the blank mm-hmm. product X, this that I got from the health food store, X, Y, or Z, right? Cannabis or whatever, right? It could be a thousand things. And I read this study or somebody told me or I read on this Internet, you know, that this this is the cure or it's always an anecdote. The patient had cancer. A doctor told me at six months to live. They took product X and here they are 10 years later. How, how is that? How do you moderate that in this kind of community? Because it's it's many, many patients. And again, over 20 years, I've heard probably 500 different products, maybe a thousand. Yeah. So when we hear, when we see those type of things shared, what you're talking about. Um, one of the thing, one of the messages we try and reinforce is, is this, is this evidence that's across a wide population or is it one case study? Any, anything that's relying on one case study isn't a reliable source of information. You are always going to have a, a few people who are just going to say, I'm doing this no matter what, and they're going to go that direction. And to be honest, if that's what they want to do, I would say that's an empowered choice if that's the choice that they've made. What we don't want to see is patients making those kind of choices because they've, through this social reinforcement, they've been pushed in that direction. I don't think that's a really significant problem in our patient communities. As I said, the, the majority of patients are, are on active treatment or, you know, have had surgery for localized disease and they're getting, 
standard of care evidence-based based medicine. Yeah. And, and where, does, where do these communities go from here? I mean, what's the next step? Do they band together? Do they differentiate in some form? Is there something new that happens? I mean, how does it, how does it get even better than it is? Well, you know, I think they will always stay a little bit disparate simply because different people have different preferences when it comes to platforms. You know, some people are really comfortable on Facebook. Um, that is definitely where the majority of patients are simply because it's a huge number of people. But some people would say, no, I would just I don't feel confident Dana, with Facebook. Dana, can I interrupt? Yeah. Um, how do you know you're, you're, you're on a safe platform as a new patient and you go into one of these? How do you know that it's not the full of misinformation? How, how do you navigate that? Yeah, I, I don't think there's an answer to that. I, don't, I think people are, are going to make that judgment for themselves. We run, so Casey Cure, we run nine uh, distinct kidney cancer communities. We use private Facebook groups for, for everything we do. Um, we do try and we have rules in place to make it clear that people need to, you know, they can't share predatory scams. We have um, entry questions to make sure that we're only allowing patients who actually have kidney cancer who have answered questions. We weed out fake profiles. We have teams of moderators that do that. Um, and then we're constantly moderating the group to to take out any false information um, but not everybody does that and i think i think someone new coming into a community should look and see how heavily it's how it's moderated um, and and are they working to provide evidence-based content um, one one thing that's changed is facebook is adding new tools that allow us to to create materials that we have on our website like educational materials, but we can actually recreate those directly in the Facebook group. So patients have access to that material right there, which is kind of a nice additional resource we can offer. Hey, Dean, I have one last question. So is there, are there research opportunities here? I mean, right, we're <laughs> tapping into networks of patients. You know, the, the old model of come into my office and sit there and go on a trial, we're still doing, but, but it seems like we could do better than that by tapping into these groups and using electronic means, et cetera. Yeah, absolutely. Um, and this is obviously a huge priority for Casey Cure. We've talked about this before, but um, I think patients are the largest untapped resource for research. We've done um, four, five surveys now, um, and we're working to do more to really analyze patients, talk to them, um, understand their preferences in treatment, understand how they communicate side effects, understand how their treatments are being managed, you name it. Um, and we really hope to expand this and grow it and work with more researchers to, um, I think, identify some more gaps in care. Yeah, we did a recent podcast on quality of life with Dave Sell, and it just seems like we need to do a better job tapping into patients on an almost daily basis to figure out how treatments are affecting them instead of these sort of periodic questionnaires. But, but just, just curious if these communities might help us do that. Um, Dina, last question for me, if I may, there's been, um, th there is a, a struggle for if you were a new patient coming into this by the sounds of things, it's, there's no easy way of navigating this. What, what practical advice do you give someone at the moment who 
uh, is looking to enter into these spaces but doesn't really have a track record of doing it. How would you go about, obviously, your websites are, or Facebook pages are, but with the exception of naming the, the specifically, what advice would you give someone um, about how they can navigate this and, and know they end up somewhere useful and safe? You know, the first thing I, we do is if someone reaches out to us, like through our contact page is finding out where they are in their journey so that we can find a safe space for them. You know, a patient who has localized disease, maybe they've just had a renal mass identified and a scan, they don't even have a diagnosis. Um, you know, we can refer them either to our small renal mass group or to our one, two, three but group. But dear, sorry, I'm going to interrupt again, I apologize. Yeah. So I'm actually saying I'm on the internet, I'm going to go on the internet right now and heaven forbid I've got ovarian cancer, that's impossible, so I don't want to tempt fate. Um, and what, so I'm just, I've opened up the computer now and I'm going to put in ovarian cancer. Um, well, you know, how do I know where I'm going to, how am I going to end up in the, how, what practical advice without, because many people won't, um, clearly reaching out to you is a really good way of doing it in kidney cancer. But if we put that mm -hmm. to one side um, and say, you know, what advice would you give to someone saying you've gone on the internet for the first time, you're looking for good information. How are you, how are you going to, uh, how are you going to do that? So we have we do have a web page that actually lists out all the different patient communities available that links directly into them. Uh, we have that on the Case Secure page. If you go to casesecure.org, you go to patients, um, click down, you'll see kidney cancer patient communities, and that gives you um, a host of communities to choose from. We also are working with doctors. More and more um, urologists are actually referring their localized disease patients directly to us. Um, you know, reaching out to patients and trying, get, trying to get more of them to connect with others is certainly a top priority for us. I'm not sure if I'm fully answering your I think question, you are. I've but... gone on the page and I've got a whole string of things which, I've, which are really unhelpful around ovarian cancer. So I think uh, I think I just just <laughs> highlighted how challenging this is. I've got what, 42 million results um, and the first three yeah. or four pages seem totally irrelevant to me. Ovarian cancer face masks has come up second, which uh, and then wow. the second and then I've got <laughs> cell lines in ovarian cancer uh, and hip pain with ovarian cancer. I. Yeah. I think the message is, you know, the, the broad Google search starting there is going to be really difficult, yes. right? As opposed to finding a knowledge source, i.e. health community, a KC Care, KCA organization, whatever, you know, finding people and or a community but organization actually, that has already done this. It, You've already it comes done back this, right? to that issue around actually you need to, sounds to me, and I've, I've, what do I know? Um, but it sounds to me like getting some initial pointers in the right direction and then the internet can be incredibly useful, whereas going in blind and not knowing which direction you're going in could even be counterproductive. Absolutely. Absolutely. Yes. I, yes. Um, we, you know, we do for Kidney Cancer Awareness Month, we do a new patient story every, every day. Um, we had a patient come in, newly diagnosed, came into our one, two, three community. And, you know, just being able to connect with other people, he really talked about this as he waited for his surgery, really helped him figure out where to nav, where to go, what information was reliable and what wasn't just by talking to other patients. Um, so, you know, if we can get people into a community first, I, I think that's a great point. Um, that then we can help them navigate the wider internet information. Yeah. 
Hey, Dina, this has been really great. Thanks for joining again. It's the whole, you know, unexplored topic, I think, that, that needs more attention because it's so pervasive and predominant, whether the providers realize it or not, where patients are getting their information. So thanks for coming. Thanks for having Dina, me. I'd like to point out, Tom, that you apologized twice to Dina for interrupting and you never apologized. There's a good reason for that, Brian. For the There's a good reason for that. <laughs> I'll see you soon. Thank you, Dina. Really, really good. Thanks. All right. Thanks, guys. All right. See you soon.